Welcome to When I Was On My Mission, the podcast where missionaries tell true, unbelievable stories that they experienced firsthand. I'm your host, Brian Jensen. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app. It really helps us out. Welcome everyone to the When I Was On My Mission podcast. This is your host, Brian Jensen. This week we have Eric Peterson. Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really excited. I met Eric through a mutual friend and got to talking about missions a little bit and was apparent that he had some great stories to share. So Eric, really appreciate you um, coming over and, and sharing some of those. But let's just start off with a few few primer questions about your mission to get things rolling. Sure. And then we can jump into the stories. So first, where did you serve your mission? So I served in the Russia Ekaterinburg mission from 2004 to 2006. Mm-hmm. Was there any civil unrest at all during that period, or was it was it pretty stable? So I went to the MTC in October of 2004, and while we were in in the MTC, there was a point where all of us had calls stateside because we weren't able to get our Russian visas because there was some election going on and somebody was uh, poisoned and. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, there was a little bit of it was the Orange Revolution, is what it was called, was happening, and there's some unrest, but uh, things got cleared up, and luckily we were able to go to our missions in January of 2005, is when we actually flew to Russia. This is another story, but we were the awkward group that stayed two weeks in the Provo MTC beyond our time, so we literally just hung out. We had no teacher, no classrooms, no schedule. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was unruly. Oh man, and I'm sure you were just pining to get out of there and, oh and get into the mission. After, you're there for three months. Yeah, we, so eight. it was like 15 yeah. weeks probably that you were there. Wow. I was only there for three weeks. I went to North Carolina, English speaking, so, you know. We would see the English elders come in and sisters, <laughs> and we we'd, like we saw, what, six groups of them come in. We're like, you rookies, you guys have rookies. no idea. <laughs> We've been through this so many times. Oh, that's great. I've known several friends and, and just people along the way that have served in Russia, and their missions, it seems like was always tenuous that there was, you know, some unrest could happen and it could change their call. Or, and so anyway, that's great that you actually got to the country. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an, it's unpredictable getting there when you're there, when you're leaving. I think that's probably a great word to describe a Russian mission. Very good. And so I'm assuming you spoke a, a foreign language. I, I spoke Russian. Spoke yes. Russian. Was uh-huh. there any other, it was just Russian, like no dialect or anything like that? Or No, there's no, there's a few other dialects that are spoken there, but you don't, you don't learn okay. I mean, yeah, it's Russian. Excited to get into the story that you have from us from Russia. Yeah. So when I was on my mission, there's a lot of weird aspects to serving a, a mission in Russia. But one of the first things they tell you and kind of one of the most prominent nexus of where these stories come from is run-ins with the law. Tell so you, like run-ins with Russian authorities. Russian but, authorities, yeah. Okay. So yeah, whether that be like correctional authorities in some manner, whether that's like local police or there's a the level up from your normal local police, right? And it's they look like SWAT team. Like they roll up in a van oh, wow. and they get out, but they have the helmets and visors and shields. And we call them pajalstapalkas, which means like the oh, please stick. But it's like the billy stick. If they are there, you're, you're screwed. Because <laughs> okay. it seems like, I don't know if they do, but it seems like they operate without rule or reason. If they're called there, like stuff's getting messed up. Okay. That, I mean, that that is in line with my understanding of the practice of law enforcement in Russia. Those police would show up and people or whatever would get taken and you just like wouldn't hear from them again. Wow. 
like a lot of times they'd either get deported or like they'd get sent away from the the city or country get put in jail or whatever but when they showed up you knew it was was real and there was no negotiating or pleading you were going with them or bribing or anything or yeah you're beyond bribing at that point okay they want pain they want what they want okay (laughs) but yes one of the first things when you get into the mission i remember is they kind of talk to you about look you're going to get a lot of approaches from local authorities here and the main reason for that is they just they just want to give you hassle you and intimidate you into giving them money that's kind of the kind of the lowest form and a lot of times you can get away with that but the way one of the ways they'll do it and they'll tell you as soon as you get to the mission do not ever let go of your passport like i remember sitting in the mission president's home and there's like everybody get your passport and you know we're new missionaries straight from the mtc so we're kind of fumbling through our bags or pockets like yeah i think they told us like here's your lesson do not ever forget where that is know where it's at which pocket it's in at all times did you have it on you at all times yeah you had to have it on you at all times because if you didn't have it on you it was cause for arrest if you got asked for it but at the same time they would ask you for it and you would have to take it out and show them number one rule never ever let go of it always keep a hold of it because they will try to take it from you and what i didn't know at the time but you come to find out over your two years as a missionary is they take it and they don't even look at it. They just take it, put it in their pocket, and now you are bound to and them. You have to follow them wherever they go uh, because they okay. have your passport and your only documentation as a foreign minister of, of religion there. Their, their, their police authority is very much act first, ask questions later. Okay, they, they can be very abrasive at times and use a lot of techniques that are intimidating to missionaries who either don't speak the language or they're in a new country. If a cop comes up to you and says, hey, you're coming with us, even if it's in a a language you don't really understand, you understand their body language pretty well because they're grabbing at you, pulling at you, like, give me your passport. I got to see it. You pull it out. They yank it from you. Like a tug of war over your passport, right? So there's a lot of these uh, run-ins with the law and it's, it's ingrained in you from literally from like week one. My first city that I got sent to was a city called Mias in Russia. So the main city is Ekaterinburg. Mias is a couple hours south, essentially, from from Ekaterinburg. Another thing you can't do as a missionary in Russia is like take pictures. They don't want you walking around with a camera. Yeah, I was going to ask because I'm sure there's some spying element to that they're always... Yeah. wondering about or asking you about no they're like if you're an american there there's every even like kids on the street if you're an american in this area of russia it's west central russia right okay. where the ural mountains are at but it's not a touristy area if you're in moscow st petersburg and somebody says hey where are you from america they understand but if you're in this area and they say you're from america they either don't believe you or they're like you're a spy like why are you here there's no reason to be here anyways right in the center of the city was a rocket factory Right. And so on a daily, maybe not daily, but a weekly basis, we'd see ballistic missiles. It was They manufactured ballistic missiles that were launched from submarines and below earth bunkers. Oh, wow. You'd see trucks with helicopters and like full military operation escorting these missiles or these rockets. You know, they didn't have the plutonium or uranium, I guess, in them. But the rocket itself would go down something like a full semi, right? Just 50 foot rocket going through town. And that was like the big no-no. Do not, Do not take, take a picture, a picture of that. Of that. <laughs> then these these <laughs> these like Spetsnaz Russian cops will show up and take you away. And those are the big things they like. Do not do this. Do not let your passport. Do not take pictures of like military establishments in Russia. But anyways, it was it was a common occurrence for us. And it's, it sounds weird even just thinking about it. But in the middle of the night, in my first week in this city, we got a call from the branch president at the time. Okay. And senior companion answered the phone, obviously talked to him, and he hung up. He's like, hey, we got to go. And so then he starts explaining to me, like, yeah, this happens sometimes, but 
you get a call from the local church authorities that somehow get tipped off that the cops are on their way to our apartment. Oh my gosh. To arrest us and take us to jail. So in this city, there was four missionaries, so two companionships on opposite sides of the of the city. So we call the other missionaries and meet up and essentially hitchhike our way out of town. Wait, so let me just ask you, so were they coming for both of those companionships, like both of you? or Yeah, so, they had, so this specific one was a dual operation. A, they were coming for both of our apartments and at the, the same time. And the branch president just calls you and says Pres- that. Yeah, the branch president calls us, and then we call the other you missionaries okay. and tip them off. We're like, "Hey, you got to get out of here." And did, were you ready to do that? Like, was there was there I wasn't. was there a process, or like, were you guys always have stuff in the suitcase ready to go? We had like a seventy-two hour bag, kind of like okay. just a couple extra <laughs> pairs of clothes, like thing of deodorant or whatever, and and you grab it and go right for those kind of situations. So they don't diff- happen incredibly often, but it happened a couple times throughout the two years I was there. So and different than North Carolina, man! Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> It's different. And it's, you know, as in your first week in the mission, you're just disoriented in every way oh, from sure. the language, the, the the writing on the signs, the way people are interacting with you and the way the culture is. And so on top of all of that, it's like, hey, we got to go and we got to go now. I'll explain it to you on the way because I hadn't really been briefed on this whole situation. This <laughs> happens fairly often. And so I'm thinking like, are we, going, are we going to jail? Are we going to die? What's happening? <laughs> but we are pushing very quickly and running out of the apartment. How did you feel? Like, were, were you scared? Tell me about your, like, mindset. I'm a little bit weird where, like, I think there's something wrong with my, like, adrenaline gland because I didn't, like, I didn't have that, like, fight or flight response. I was really, my whole feeling was just absorbing everything that's happening. And so, again, like, I'm remembering the sights and sounds and, and smells of all of this going on. But it's almost like I didn't have time to be scared. It was just like, hey, this is happening and we have to go now. So it's like, okay, like, I, I guess I Time I to do it. Execute. Yeah, I guess we'll do this and then ask questions later. And then afterwards, I kind of had time to process like that was crazy, <laughs> right? That doesn't happen all the time. They're like, eh, it happens occasionally. And it's like, wow, okay. So is this something we need to prepare for? Like, yeah, I should probably have a small bag or like something ready to go just in case that happens. But so on that one, you leave town. Do you come back to that area later? So we go We go from Mias, which is a, a city not far from one of the worst nuclear disasters in human history. Oh, great. I think they call it the Kiltash disaster, but it's in a from a city called Mayak, which was in the late 40s to late 50s is when they were developing plutonium. And uh, they just, long story short, they, they stored the radioactive waste incorrectly and the cooling systems failed. And it exploded. But again, it was in the middle of the Soviet era that uh, information wasn't kind of freely flowing. And so not a lot of people know about it. But it's like you could look it up. And it's, I think, in the top three worst contaminant and people dying from the fallout, wow. the radioactive fallout of all time. So we go from that city kind of in the middle of nowhere to the main city of the zone called Chelyabinsk. And we stayed there for about three days with other missionaries just bunk up with them sleep on the floor and it's just a, it's it's a common cops are after you yeah all right well sleep on the floor for a little bit zone leaders know about it mission president knows about it just lay low here for a little bit go on splits hang out and then make it back to your city in a couple of days oh my god when the branch president in the in the local city essentially calls and says yeah it sounds like you know you got the the all clear heats off you can come back yeah that's wild. <laughs> you don't go on a mission thinking that you're going to be like a fugitive from yeah the law, but you're, you know, that, but you're, you're kind of constantly running from that from is crazy things. wow so that was that a couple transfers later i'm in a different city right and again still very new maybe like three to four months into the mission picking up the language a little bit more but still disoriented right in a new city 
I remember I was going on on splits, and as I've been thinking about it, a lot of these stories happen when you're on splits with a different missionary. And I think a reason is because you don't have that daily interaction to understand how, like if we were together for a couple of days, I would understand how you react in stressful situations. And so when a cop comes up and starts asking questions, I can predict how you're going to conversationally and temperamentally react, right? When you're on splits, it's a new missionary and you're like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. So I was the I was the junior missionary by a long ways in this one, and we were standing outside of a building. The guy I was on splits with had just pulled out his monthly stipend, so he's counting all these rubles. Okay. And in the time we were we were there, the exchange rate was actually incredibly favorable. We ended up getting a pretty large monthly stipend in rubles. Got it. And so you're counting through all mm-hmm. these things. Apparently, nobody in Russia counts money openly in public out on the street except for drug dealers drug dealers yeah at least that's what the cops told us okay so anyways a b- bunch of them pull up and they're like hey what you know what are you doing counting counting money and you know, i just let the senior missionary kind of do all of the talking there did you but, speak russian well at that point like, well or, enough to un- you know you okay. kind of start understanding sooner than you can kind of start freely expressing your thoughts so i was understanding a little bit more then okay and then just in the context of their body language and like really pressing us up against the wall of this building like you know, what, what are you doing why are you not speaking russian as well as as you probably should be and sitting out here counting money in the open you're a drug dealer. What's, you know, what are you doing? So they ask us a bunch of questions and they end up taking that missionary away with them and they don't take me. <laughs> and that was Perfect. my first experience of being without, because, you know, drilled into your head, never leave your companion, yep. never be alone. And in a split second, four cops take this guy away and he has the cell phone of the companionship. And so I am out here on the street in a new city that had just been transferred to a couple of weeks prior an area I don't know well. I don't know how to get back to my apartment. I don't know how to get back to the church house. Did you have any money? No, he they took he, had, he, they took, he pulled he all his all, money out. He they had took all him, of yeah. The money. So, wow. so they confiscated that. They uh, so they took everything. So I'm sitting there useless on the sidewalk, and I realize at that moment I got to follow these guys, or else I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to get anywhere. So they get in a car, and luckily they don't drive very far. It's probably like a quarter of a mile, and it was in a city, so they were going Stopping a little bit, so yeah, stoplights and whatnot, but. I was able to run down the sidewalk to this little kind of remote outpost of this little jail. And they put him in there for about six to seven hours. I just waited outside. I literally just paced like a, like a lost duck (laughs) (laughs) waiting because I had nothing else to do. I was like, well, I like, I don't know where to go home. So, you know, I I guess I just wait here until he gets out because I don't know where to go and I don't know who to call. I don't know any phone numbers. And even if I did, I don't have a phone because they're all in that with those little Nokia brick phones with snake and that's it. (laughs) Nobody tells you what happens if one of the two missionaries gets taken by the police. What do you do? Yeah. You right? open up the handbook and it's not in there. And you're like, yeah. It's, there, there's no, there's no written situation for, <laughs> Hey, this is what to do. And, and numbers to call. And like we had numbers to call, right. But it's back at the apartment. Yeah. I don't know how to get back there. <laughs> so did he just get out after those six or seven hours? Yeah. They just was... let him out after okay. a while when they check his papers and see like, yeah, you are here. He went through a lot of uh, interrogation and intimidation to get money. They ended up just taking all of his money because as soon uh-huh. as they, they, it was like 6,000 rubles or something, which is a couple hundred bucks, the monthly stipend, whatever it was. So not like a terrible loss, but yeah. still, that's the only reason they really do it. That's the, the main drivers because they want that extra bribe money. And they know Americans and, and foreigners in general are susceptible to it because they're like, oh, it's like, I don't want any trouble. I'm here. Like, I, this is, and they're already intimidated by Russia. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they, they don't want any trouble. So they're like, look, how, like, what do you want? So there's was, there was a missionary who came into the mission one transfer behind me, so six weeks behind us. He was in the mission for just a couple of weeks. 
with his trainer. They were standing outside of a building at night. Now, at night in Russia's relative, I think it was like maybe 4.30 or 5.00 Oh, yeah, because it could be pitch black. It was pitch black outside, right? And they were in a city called Sergut, which is one of the furthest north cities of our mission. So it gets dark even sooner. But they were using a payphone outside of a building to call an investigator or a member or something like that. But apparently that building and that payphone specifically had been under surveillance for some kind of like drug ring some sting operation and human trafficking operation and so when these two guys dress in suits because there's only two types (laughs) of people that dress in suits in russia and it's young lds missionaries and mafia and mafia okay but it's very easy to distinguish between the two of us right but in the dark apparently they got it mixed up these guys and it's these special police okay the the police that don't mess around the scary guys the scary ones they get out and they apprehend the two missionaries using this payphone one of them green by a couple weeks the other one had been out for i don't know maybe a year or so and they arrest them handcuff and put them in the back of the cop car but to the greenie the guy had been out just a couple of weeks before they shut the door of the cop car Cops grab him by the hair and knee him in the side of the face. Oh. As hard as they can, which breaks his jaw. Oh. They take him. Welcome to Russia. Yeah, welcome to Russia, kid. And this like just kind of speaks to how how good of a guy that he was. He ended up like having to leave the mission, obviously get like corrective treatment, surgery, whatever. He came back. That's awesome. After having gone through that, he comes back to the mission. But respect. Wow. Just just to show you the, the brutality. And kind of act first, ask questions later. And I think they were later like, oh, you guys weren't the people we were looking for. And it's just a kind of a shoulder shrug, like, oops. Wow. Sorry about the jaw. Do you, so do you know they both got put in cop cars and taken down? Yeah, they both, that- they both got arrested and they both got taken down to, you know, the equivalent of the station, uh, interrogated, questioned. And again, it comes down to those papers and that you end up giving them your passports and your papers and your religious documents that say that you have a legally permitted to proselyte as a, as a missionary there. And then they realize, go shoot. They probably start backpedaling. Like, yeah. These are volunteer kids yeah. here. And we just... They're 19 year olds. Yeah. And they just broke his jaw. Like yeah. That. But again, it's just, they're just like, oh, well. Because <laughs> there's almost like no recourse to, to their actions. Yeah. That is wild. Well, those are, I mean, a medley of... Uh, do you have Do you have more? I have I have one more. One more. I, can, okay. I have one <laughs> more that I can share. <laughs> this is great. Again, I was on splits. It was late at night. We were in a, in a city called Ufa. And Russians are very superstitious. I'm a big, I grew up on a farm in Idaho, so I'm a big whistler because I grew up in the era when like, I remember getting my first Walkman. And so my grandpa oh, yeah. at a young age taught me like you whistle, <laughs> like the snow white whistle while you work, oh, yeah, yeah. moving pipe out there, you whistle. <laughs> but in Russia, if you whistle, it's the literal thought that you are whistling your money out of your pocket. Huh. And so people will r- run across the street to tell you to stop whistling. <laughs> and they'll, they'll like, be looking around like, stop, stop whistling. And they'll be holding their pockets. You think like fairies are coming and like slowly stealing the money out of your (laughs) pockets? Anyways, it was late at night and we were just kind of taking, it was cold and we were just taking a break as all missionaries need. Yes. We were sitting down on these, everything in Russia is made out of concrete. So we're sitting on these concrete benches and these old babushkis, like old grandmas, right? Okay. Cinematic, like shawl and like all bundled up early, like Soviet era women that are just strong. And like the ones like sweeping the sidewalks with the stick brooms, incredibly respected. You run into them all the time and everybody's like, it's a very respect your elders, whatever they say kind of thing. Uh, So one of these babushki come up and talk to us and we're sitting on the bench and she tells us like, hey, you shouldn't be sitting on this cold cement you'll go sterile i understood it but my my companion didn't i just kind of laughed about it and i was like no like i think we're fine but she was very serious like no 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 that 
is a real thing and you will not be able to, I mean, she was very nice about it. She's like, you, you two handsome young boys, you won't be able to like bring babies into this world. And we're like, no, we're like, we're just relaxing. like appreciate it. You know, like we've been on our feet all day long and we, we kind of part ways, but she walks not 20 feet down the sidewalk and some cops turn the corner just walking. And she stops the cops and just says, Hey, there's some guys over there sitting down. You need to tell them to stand up. And so they come over to us over sitting down, like over a superstition of going sterile, sitting on a cold cement block. Right. So the cops come over to us and see that we're foreign and ask for our passports. One of the best ways to deter them that, that you learn is acting like you don't speak Russian. It frustrates them and they they just kind of throw their hands up. Because again, 90% of the reason they want to apprehend you is money. And so if you just give them a frustrating interaction up front and just act like you don't speak Russian, a lot of times they'll back off because they're like, okay, I don't want to deal with it. It's going to take too long. I'm actually going to have to take you work to drive over here. And they're asking for our passports. And at the time, me and this missionary I'm with were about the same like age and you know okay. out out in the mission the same so we understand russian fairly well and so i can understand everything he's saying but i also i know the trick to act like you don't understand it but again on splits i didn't have you don't have time to go through all the scenarios so he didn't know that that's the way i handled things okay and i'm like so speaking back in english hey sorry i don't understand what you're saying Uh, like i'm a dumb american just like you just can say whatever because they don't understand english right and uh, they start getting a little bit frustrated and so they turn to the other missionary, and he immediately just caves and just grab, yeah, goes in his pocket, grabs his passport, oh. and hands it to him. And exactly like I told you, he grabs the passport, puts it in his pocket, and no. then they just start walking away. Like the cops start walking away. Yeah, do the it, cops just start walking do away. They tell knowing that person to come with him, or with them, or they don't even really tell you because they know you're going to follow them because okay. they have your only documentation. Yeah. So then, if, if we were to sit there and a second pair of cops was to come up and we say, "Hey, we don't have a passport," they arrest you either way. Right? Like okay. you're going with them because you don't have the proof. So we kind of exchanged dirty looks like rookie mistake. Yeah. <laughs> man. So we follow them. And so there's big apartment complexes, right? And they take us into the basement of one of these. And oh, all, of the, no. all of the windows in Russia have bars on them. Interesting thing a lot of people don't know is all wooden doors to apartments. But outside of that door, you have a steel door. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's two doors to every apartment. So when you're tracting and knocking on doors, they will open that wood door into their house. But you will never see them sometimes. You'll talk through They'll that talk steel through door. That, okay. And they'll say, like, who's there? In the MTC, they teach you to talk through a closed door because you never see them. (laughs) It's so strange. Anyways, we go down there. So, But all of the wooden doors have been taken off of this basement apartment. And it was just all the steel doors and the steel bars on the windows. So we walked down in there. So that sounds like a scary jail holding cell. It's one of the scariest I've been in. We walked down the stairs and it's like, it's winter. So it's like iced and melted over. And we get down and the rooms that would normally be in this apartment... Again, are just the doors are taken off, but there's bars holding there. And there's, I remember there was two rooms on the right side and one room on the left side, all of them full of criminals or drunk people or just oh, people wow. that are rounding up off the streets. And as, you're, as we're walking down, you know, we're dressed in suits and these big coats and generally look presentable. People are reaching through the bars and trying to grab at you and saying, so in Russian, there's a, there's like a slang language called mat. Okay. And to the point that there's a whole dictionary oh, wow. full of it. So it's like dialect of Russian. And like in any country, the main thing they tell you, hey, don't read the words on the walls, <laughs> graffitied on the walls. That's all of that okay. stuff, right? But you learn some of those words that you see all the time written on walls. And those are the only ones that are being yelled at us. And Got they're it. reaching out, trying to grab us and pull us. My companion at the time, the other missionary I was in splits with, he gets grabbed and kind of pulled into the bars. 
he was a lot smaller. I'm a six foot five and 200 pounds. So a bigger guy, and especially, and then in a big Russian coat, I look much more intimidating yeah. than I am. But he was much shorter. Anyways, they grab him and yank him over to the bars to the point where the cop has to like smash this guy's hand. He hit it so hard, I am certain he broke it broke with it. one of those like big sticks, right? And he yells at him to get back. And at this point, my companion is just shaking, like trembling. To just set the scene, there's like one dim yellow light bulb yes, just kind of hanging in there. Exactly what I would have expected. Uh, it's, it's, it's literally like it, you couldn't set it up in a movie any better. And we walk all the way to the end and in the main room, like the living room of this home, it's just all cleared out. There's no wallpaper. You, Russians decorate their homes with like really intricate rugs and stuff on the wall. Part of its insulation, part of it's just... Decorative, yeah. Yeah, decorative. Nothing there, right? It's just cement. And there are two now light bulbs in this room, both like dim and yellow. So we go into this room and there's one wooden table with a chair and this like the sergeant or like kind of the captain sitting there. Two guards on either side of him with AK-47s. Oh my gosh. And in front of them, two of the biggest dogs I have ever seen. There, wow. um, I had to look it up later, and I'll always remember it. It's they're Caucasian shepherds. If you've seen like documentaries on Russian prisons, but they are prison guard dogs. Okay. And they as they sit down, they stand like four and a half feet tall. Wow. They are the largest and most ferocious dog. And and they're 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 covered in fur, so they look even bigger than okay. they are. But they are vicious <laughs> dogs, right? And they have a incredibly large bark and an incredibly large bite to go with it and using it as intimidation because like there's like two people trying to hold this dog back because they're like you know 180 200 pound dogs anyways literally both just sitting on either side of the table wow that this guy is sitting at and i start looking around the room and the room because it's cement it's got bullet holes (laughs) in the cement there's scratch marks no on the on the not like in the wall on the on the floor where they had like drug chairs or furniture like whatever like and made scratch marks in the cement but to top it all off there's a pool of blood in the back right corner of the room and the dog on the right his mouth is all bloody just seeing the way they interact right like it's not beyond imagination to think that they like allowed one of these dogs to attack somebody and just like took him like "Eh, whatever whatever yeah so we continue i continued the whole spiel of not speaking russian and then my companion's trying to fumble through Russian, but he's so scared at this point, he can't even think straight. And so the conversation kind of gets settled in on me because he actually points out the pool of blood in the back and says that they had just tortured somebody. Oh my gosh. He didn't point to it. And that's where I, my mistake was because I turned and looked and then I turned back to him and he was smiling and he goes, you understood what I said. Oh, and I was like, no. gosh, dang it. Dang it. <laughs> so then the conversation continued in, in Russian, tried to intimidate even more. This is probably maybe a stupid move, but I felt like he wasn't going to do anything. Just had the intuition that was... I just had the intuition. I was like, right. I feel like you're not going to do anything. I like also, that. like, I like to think that I was fairly intelligent. And I was like, yeah. you're like, you're not going to torture American national, like an American, yeah, yeah, an American teenager, yeah, out here that's here on a religious mission for no that reason, would be right? International, like, yeah, yeah like for for sitting on a on a cement block in the cold. Yeah. No way, not going to happen. I just, for some reason, felt probably overly confident in that. I dig that, calling his bluff. Yeah, yeah. called his bluff a little bit. But it actually turned out to be kind of a cool story because we exchanged some conversation after a while. And he was like, so what are you guys doing here, really? (laughs) Right? And we told him, he's like, okay, really, what are you doing here? Right? Because there's no, again, there's no Americans that are here. Americans don't come here. Yeah. You're a spy, right? (laughs) No, no. We we really, like, we're here. You go through the story of, like, we pay to be here, actually. We're here on our own dime sacrificing like this and we're here just like learn russian russian culture serve the people and on top of that share a little bit of the gospel anyways definitely didn't turn into a conversion moment right 
but we walked away with like a, a dual respect for each other. And he ended up, when we left, he ended up saying like, Hey, you guys ever get in any trouble? You give like wrote down his numbers. Like you give me a call. Like I like you guys. You That's know? awesome. And like, and he, and he actually said, you guys get to any trouble. You've seen this room and what we do to people. We'll make, we'll make sure they're taken care of. <laughs> But I was like, oh okay, God. but like, luckily, as missionaries, you know, you leave four weeks later, and yeah. you're like, oh, good night. Good thing I don't have to see that guy again. But but you still have that guy's phone number, I bet. Like, oh, it's written like, down in my journal. Just, yeah, <laughs> just just in case. Yeah. And you know, you know what I've loved about these stories is like all of them. You've played it so cool. You know, it, how were you feeling in that moment? Were you scared at all? Were, was there any doubt? I mean, it sounds like you called his bluff. You know, so you feel pretty confident. Again, but, I like there's something wrong with my adrenal gland. I actually attribute a lot of it to probably naivete, right? In my mind, I was like, there's no way that that would actually happen. Did you feel like protected at all in some way? Like sometimes you'll hear missionaries say. You know, I was in a rough area in this part of town, you know, gang members or criminals or whoever wouldn't bug us because they knew that we were, like, they understood who we were. And, and even sometimes they would tell you that, that you're okay in that neighborhood. Did you feel any of that type of thing or like even protection from, in a spiritual sense, like protection from God? Did you feel that at all while you were in this Absolutely. scenario? All the time. That's like, you're bringing up a whole, more, like 30 more minutes of stories and <laughs> in, in, for the podcast. But to sum it up, yeah, with the mafia, the mafia, they're terrifying. Yes. But then you you feel protected because you start talking to them, and a lot of them have a ton of respect for these young Americans that are over here. Especially when you bring up like you know we're teaching people English, we're like doing service projects. Like I helped some guy out in the out in the country dig a new latrine for his house, right? Like they really connect with those things and love they're because they're very patriotic and like motherland type, right? And they're very religious, even though they don't believe in the same Christianity that that we believe in. They're very religious people, and they're we're not going to touch a man of God. And it's a it's a Christian it's like Russian Orthodox yeah Russian like Orthodox so okay. yeah it's Christian very very different kind of fundamentals from like Western Christianity sure it runs very very deep right there's a lot of history hundreds and hundreds of years of history with it like religion is a huge part of that yeah. history and so to come as a, a Western Christian missionary goes against it, all of their bases but at the same time there's also a, res- a, a respect I understand that you are like out here preaching religion for what you feel is the greater good. And so like, I'm going to respect that. I don't agree with it, but I'm going to respect that and and let you be. You do feel protected all the time, whether it's physically, whether it's spiritually protected, you know, the spiritual compass that you don't actually get the opportunity to, I think, be fully in touch with any other time in your life than those two years. Two years, you're like tuned, you tune out everything else. You're not worried about whatever, girls at home, school at home, work at home. You're not worried about anything else but learning the language for the purpose of being able to communicate with those people. Absolutely. Like you said, it's so different than any stateside mission that you, know, <laughs> that you could serve. That is that is wild. I mean, there were, there were interesting and sometimes dangerous situations that I found myself in and had some of those similar themes of feeling protected, but just the plethora of stories that you have to tell <laughs> about that is pretty amazing. Let me just ask you, so when we were catching up earlier this week, You'd mentioned on your mission application that you made a specific request about where you wanted to go or, or preference that you had. Can you tell uh-huh. us a little bit of background on that? Yeah, so I don't remember exactly how, because I know the mission applications are different now, but I remember somewhere asked for some kind of preference. I don't know if this was the exact question, but it's something to the effect of, you know, do you have a preference? Is there any like note, random notes or whatever? So I grew up in Southeast Idaho. I wrote in there, I want to go as far away as possible. <laughs> Man, I got my wish. It was literally 12 time zones away. So the exact opposite side of the world. Yes. And a completely different culture. Talk about the Wild West. Yeah. The Wild East. The Wild East, right. 
<laughs> but yeah, that's what I wrote because I was dying for adventure. Yeah, you know, I wanted to. I mean, I would have gone. I would have gone anywhere. Again, it's all preference, right? But and on top of that, let's go somewhere that's kind of scary and gets yeah. me like out of my comfort zone. Because again, I wanted to use the mission as a as a time to push myself physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Got- I definitely got that. <laughs> well, let me ask you one more question to close, and just kind of going back through those run-ins, that the medley of stories that you told and painting that picture of what it's like to interact with authorities in Russia. And you alluded to some other just wild stories as well that, you know, you were in danger at, at some points on your mission. So with, with that context and thinking about that, uh, was it worth it going on a mission? Absolutely. There's so many reasons why I think going on a mission is worth it. Generally, and specifically for me, there's so many things in my life that developed in that two-year time frame, spiritually, characteristically, in myself, that would not have been able to happen in any other circumstance in my life. One of those things is is confidence. I probably got a, a false sense of confidence in a lot of these situations, right, where <laughs> it uh, may not have been the smartest thing to uh, act in those ways, but just in, in a confidence of being able to approach people and talk to people about who you are and what you're doing. On, on the mission, it's a, in a religious perspective. But then, you know, in, in life after the mission, which is, you know, the mission's a, a, two years. And it's a, it's a very small part of your entire life. But later in your life, you're going to have to continue standing up for, you're going to have personal morals against this. You're going to have personal opinions about this, that, or the other thing. And you have to be able to stand up for what you've decided personally based off of like individual experience, individual uh, study, and what you've come to learn yourself. And especially for kids that are that age, right? That 19 through 21, and I guess it's um, 18 to 20 now, but yeah. like that early age, what a skill to be able to learn. So was it worth it? Absolutely. Well, I couldn't agree more. And I used it a little bit more too. Just the adventure that you experienced, the adventure that I experienced too, and getting into real life, having these experiences that you're going to look back on 20, well, well, not 20 years out, but 10 years out. <laughs> you know, 10, but I'm sure, you know, 10 more years from now, we're going to look back and cherish these things. I, I just couldn't agree more. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been super fun. And we hope to have you back again. It sounds like you just have a million stories. So I'm sure we yeah, can Yeah, there's more. plenty more where those stories came from. But I appreciate just selfishly the opportunity to kind of reflect on mission stories and experiences I've had. A, I, I told you earlier. You know, you sit and think about it for long enough and you start thinking like, oh, I, I forgot when that happened. Or, oh, I remember this. And you're just remembering a, a moments from a two-year period in my life that I cherish very much. So thank you for the exercise and having me over. Thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When I Was On My Mission. If you or someone you know has a great mission story, we would love to hear it. Please email us at contactonmymission at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or Facebook at When I Was On My Mission. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app.